You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Good morning, church. I'm so glad to be with you. Uh, don't, don't forget, next week we are starting a brand new series, Start Here. I want to invite everybody back. It's going to be an awesome series. There's some great things going on. I know it's a, a December 30th, New Year's Eve weekend, and, uh, but man, after service today, we're baptizing uh, many people today, and so make sure you hang around because it is in a pretty, it's a pretty exciting time at FC still, coming off of everything that God did at Christmas. We are so excited. So I want to just take a moment. My, my name's Landon, I'm, I'm, uh, I oversee kids ministry and student ministry here, and, uh, and oversee our teams that run each of those environments, and, and so I'm so blessed to be here. I'm so thankful for Pastor Trent for giving me this opportunity to speak to you all today, and I believe it's going to be a great morning as we look forward to what God has for us in 2019. And so I want to start off this morning by, uh, I want to tell you the greatest mistake I ever made in my marriage, Okay. Now, you're like, wow, this could get real really quickly, all right? I don't know, I don't know you very well, uh, but, but let, me just, let me just start by saying this. How many of you all chronically lose things, okay? Oh, my goodness, that is me 100%. I can lose the milk in the fridge, okay? And often, I have to ask Leanna, hey, where's the milk? Right there in front of you, honey. Uh, I, I chronically lose things all the time. In fact, it's one of the greatest frustrations I have in my life, that I lose things nonstop. And I get it. I know all the life hacks. Like You should put it in the same place every single time. I know. I'm still going to lose it, okay? It's just what is going to happen. Find my iPhone does nothing for me. I will still lose my iPhone. I lose everything. I really do. Now, the greatest mistake in my marriage came after I lost something. So when we first came on staff here, and uh, we, were, uh, we were young, and we were, I was 20 years old when I came on staff here, and uh, we were about to get married uh, December 28th. We just uh, celebrated our four-year anniversary this past weekend. And uh, so, yeah, absolutely. Uh, four years, big accomplishment, I know. Uh, <laughs> I can't believe she stuck with me that long. Uh, but... But yeah, we celebrated four years, and, uh, but we, we were young, and we weren't married yet, but, so the volunteers in student ministry decided that they were going to throw a gift card shower for us. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like probably the most fun thing you could ever do, like a gift card shower, like they're going to shower you with gift cards. Great, okay? So I show up here on a Wednesday night. I didn't know this was happening, and we had tons of gift cards. And it was such a blessing to us. We were so just thrilled by, by volunteers showing us love like that. I mean, we had, you know, a couple hundred dollars at Target. We had Kroger gift cards. We were about to buy the first month of groceries with that gift card. Uh, we had Pottery Barn gift cards. All, right? all the women are like, hey oh, All right. Um, we had all kinds of different gift cards. We had a Walmart gift card. Uh, we had a, a $15 Dollar General gift card, which we lived right beside a Dollar General, and we hit that thing up a lot. Uh, and we had all kinds of different gift cards. So one night, we were going to go out and see a movie, and, uh, and then we were going to go shopping and get some things for the house that we needed when, when we got married. And so we did that, and I had all the gift cards in a gift card tin. And you can see where this is going, right? Uh, so we go to the movie. And we're at Turkey Creek, and we go to the Super Target, because it's super, and it's awesome, and it's huge. And we go to spend these gift cards for things that we need for our house. And guess what I lost? The entire gift card tin. Every single gift card. We were looking everywhere. I was looking in my jacket pockets, looking under the car seat, went back to the theater, could not find the gift cards, but we found one gift card. 
the $15 general gift card. Praise the Lord. Amen. All right. Now, I'm, I'm not knocking the person that gave us that because we use Dollar General a lot. But we had the $15 general gift card. I lost all the Target. I lost all the Kroger. And I lost all the Pottery Barn. Put me in the doghouse before I was even married. Like, Oh, my goodness. And as a, as a young, engaged man, I, um, I just felt terrible. I felt like I just failed my family. Like, I, I felt like, man, this is my, my job is to, is to help our family, provide for our family. And I've already started our marriage off by losing hundreds of dollars in gift cards. Now, when you lose something, I think one of the most frustrating things for when you lose something is when somebody says a question like, well, where'd you put it last? Bro, if I knew where I put it last, I'd have it in my pocket. <laughs> or or what, if, what if Pastor Trent was like, hey, Lando, I know you lost the gift cards. No big deal. Okay, don't worry about it. It's, it's all good. Like, you need to look at the bright side. You still have your $15 dollar general gift card. Bro, why are you sweating? I, I would be so frustrated. Like, because I lost $100 at Pottery Barn, and my wife's going to kill me. All right? Like, that would not be helpful. That would be extremely frustrating. It'd be frustrating for you. It was frustrating for me. It would be frustrating for all of us. And see, the principle behind this frustra- frustration is pretty self-explanatory, all right? When we lose something, okay, get this, when we lose something of value, we naturally neglect what is not lost to find what is lost. And so, let's say you lost your phone, and you, you've lost your phone, you look everywhere for your phone. And you just can't find them. You're frustrated. And your husband or your wife comes up, hey, don't worry. You still have your keys. Okay? That's not helpful. All right? Because when, or let's say you, you post something on Facebook and, and people just give you compliments over and over again. But there's one person who says something discouraging. What are you remembering? What's discouraging? Or let's say you're a mom in the room and, and maybe you have a young baby or you have a, you have a, a child and, and you're trying to raise them right, you're trying to do everything by the book and you mess up in one area, then what are you focusing on? You're focusing on your mistake. See, we all naturally do this. We focus on the one. That's what we all do as humans. We focus on the one thing that was gone, the one thing that is missing, the one game, the one mistake. We could have 99 good things happen to us, but we still focus on the one thing wrong because when we lose something of value, we neglect what is not lost to find what is lost, and we naturally do this when we lose our keys. We naturally do this when we lose our phone. We naturally do this when we make a mistake. We naturally do this in every area of life. So why do we not naturally do this in church? In other words, we Christians, I'm included, naturally focus on people that are not lost while forsaking those who are lost. And see, we do this in in many ways. And I'll just kind of give this kind of practically for us as a church this morning. See, we can easily refuse to invite someone new to our small group because we like it the way it is. Or, or, or we can resist wanting to, to plant a new campus in Bearden because, man, we have, we have things here that we need to do first. Or, or we can oppose the thought of parking in an overflow lot or parking in grass to allow a guest a space because we want to get into church easy. Or we can say no to serving in kids' ministry on Sunday morning because we only want to go to one service instead of go to one and serve one. We can turn down giving towards the vision offering Because we are comfortable. Do you see my point? See, we naturally focus on the lost, except when it comes to church. 
Because focusing on loss, focusing on the vision, focusing on reaching people means we can't be focused on ourselves. But we can't expect to find the lost if we're focused on what is found. See, we, when we lose something of value, we focus on what is not lost to find what is lost, except in church. So the question I want us to all ask ourselves today is why? Why do we do this? Why, why do we all continually struggle with this as Christians? Why do we naturally focus on our lost keys? Why do we naturally focus on our lost phone? And we do not naturally focus on lost people. Well, I want to answer that with a story that Jesus told today. So in first century AD, there's a man named Luke. He's a doctor. He is uh, recording all of these eyewitness accounts of, of, of Jesus and, uh, and he's seen so many amazing things, so he's recording, he's compiling all these, these things together. And so he writes in Luke chapter 15, verse 1, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, these words. So it says in verse 1, Luke 15, verse 1, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So we have... We have a couple different groups here. We have several different groups here, really. Uh, and so first off, we see the tax collectors. Now, when you think tax collectors, I want you to think these are not just like IRS people. These are like Jewish sellouts. So the Jews are uh, essentially oppressed by the Romans. And so these Jewish tax collectors would be the ones who are essentially funding the oppression. They would not just go and steal from the people. They would take so much, they'd steal, but they would also be giving it to their oppressors. So these were sellouts. The Jews did not like the other Jewish tax collectors. Then we see the sinners. Now the sinners, this is probably just a, a group of, of evil men who are far from God. Then we see the, the Pharisees. These would have been the religious officials of the day. And then we would see the scribes, is what he's describing here. And that would have been like the religious lawyers. Like they would they draw up all these laws. And so like really fun individuals, you can tell. Like you really want to invite them to your New Year's Eve party, like religious lawyers. Uh, that's fun. Uh, but, but we have all these different groups of people. And I want you to notice in verse, in verse 1. Who's Jesus eating with? Well, let's, let's go back. It says, now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisee and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus, from the very beginning of this passage, we see, is eating with the tax collectors and sinners. Now, let's not miss the scandalous nature of this. Jesus is a Jewish rabbi. He would have been deemed unclean by associating himself with these sinners. But Jesus is sharing an intimate moment of having a meal with people who are nothing like him. It is amazing that in these first two verses, we see a clear picture of the mission of God and the heart of the Father. But the scribes and the Pharisees, they grumbled and thought that was ridiculous. So he tells them this story, and we're going to go to verse 3. So, so he, told him, he told them this parable. Parable is a story with a point. So what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country to go after the one that is lost until he finds it? So he tells a story of a shepherd with 100 sheep, and, and one of them goes missing. Now, we've got to realize Jesus' context here. In first century A.D., there would have been a lot of shepherds around. 
And so the fact that he's using this, you know, we can denote that there's probably maybe some shepherds in the crowd or somebody who's known shepherds. And so shepherding was a very common job in that time. And so shepherds were extremely meticulous about their sheep. They would count them over and over again to make sure that they had every single one of their sheep. They knew their sheep so well that they could actually differentiate the cries of one sheep from the other. It was really a kind of an amazing thing how, how, how well the shepherds would know the sheep. It was common that they would take meticulous care. Now, in our day and age, this would be like losing the family dog. And so Jesus is, Jesus is telling this story, and, and maybe you could imagine Jesus saying to all the uh, dog moms in the room, uh, what if you lost the family dog? Well, everybody, you know, you can think if you have a family dog that you love, you can think, man, uh, you know, you kind of feel that feeling that, that they'd be feeling in the room, like, oh, man, it'd be terrible to lose your dog if you've ever done that before. That's, that's so scary if you love that dog, unless you're just like, hey, we want to get you lost. Go ahead. Uh, see... This would be like Jesus saying that. And, and just like, what if you lost your family dog? There'd be a gasp in the room. And, and, and the same would be true for, for Jesus' audience in the first century with, with sheep. And so, because these people knew the pain of losing a sheep that you loved, that you raised, and you spent every day protecting. And because the shepherd loved and vowed to protect his sheep, he would leave the rest of the sheep to find the one lost sheep just as you would leave all your other pets at home to go find your lost dog. Now, now he, he continues in verse 5, and he says, And when he found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends, his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. And once the shepherd finds his sheep, you know, recapping here, he picks it up on his shoulders, and he carries it in, and he throws a party because they found their lost sheep. And verse 7 is, is a hard verse to, to comprehend, but, but I, I, want, I want to read it to you. He says this, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over the one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Let that sit for just a moment. There will be more joy in heaven over the one who comes back. You know, it's easy in Bible Belt Christianity to spend so much time in Bible studies for the found, men's groups for the found, women's ministry for the found, legalistic rules to keep the found from stumbling, only hanging out with other found people so you don't look like the lost, that we forget the reason that Jesus came in the first place. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And if this is the heart of the Father, if we see that all throughout Scripture, if that is the heart of the Father, then would that, should that not be the heart of Foothills Church? That we would be for the one. Because he came to seek and to save that which was lost. So my bottom line this morning is this. If I could summarize my entire message into one point, it would be this. Leave the 99 every time. Every single time, focus on the 99. Every single day, or every single time, focus on the one. Every single day, focus on the one. Every single decision, focus on the one. Every time you pray, focus on the one. Leave the 99 every time. Now, some of you might be saying, whoa, whoa, hold up there. All right, what, what do you mean? Are you encouraging me to stop going to church? Are you encouraging me to stop being in an accountability group or my men's discipleship group? 
Are you encouraging me to stop going to small group or to stop hanging out with my other saved and found friends? And I would say, do not stop doing those things. But you do need to realize that the point of each of those things are for the one. The reason you come to church is to be sent out from the church. The reason you are being discipled is to make disciples. The reason you have friends who are found is for the loss. So leave the 99 every time. But here's what I know. You and I, as Christians, we constantly struggle to do this. Because the longer you have been saved, the easier, or the harder, I would say, the longer you've been saved, the harder it is to leave the 99. Because no matter how many times we hear that we ought to go out to the one, we ought to go find the one, we ought to reach and minister to the one, we constantly get drawn back in to the 99. We're drawn back to what the 99 wants. We're drawn back to what the 99 needs to go deeper. We're drawn back to what the 99 prefers on Sunday morning. While the Father is concerned about the one. So if the Father is calling us to leave the 99 every time, then why don't we? Well, I would call this the, the gravitational pull of the 99. And here's what I mean by this. Let's say that you, you hear a message, like, like a message about this morning where it says you need to go and reach the one. So you're here at the 99, you're here at the church where we have found people, saved people, and, and we hear this message and we're sent out. And we go and we're excited about reaching people, we're excited about planning new campuses and, and giving sacrificially to the vision offering. We're excited about, you know, inviting our one to church or, or bringing somebody to Easter. Like we're excited about that, but over time, the longer you've been saved, the stronger the pull is, you're right back here with the 99. I call this the gravitational pull of the 99 because we're constantly drawn back. Over time, we, we come back naturally to the 99 as Christians. See, the gravitational pull of the church is often the 99. But the gravitational pull of the Father is the one. And you and I, we have to constantly fight this pool. It's a constant battle for every single Christian in the room. Are we going to fight the pool? Are we going to give in to the Father's heart? So I want to challenge you with something this morning. I want to challenge you with something as a, maybe a goal that you write down for 2019. Something that, that goes in your planner, goes in your journal, something that your heart is, is molded around and here's my challenge for you. I want you to challenge, I want to challenge you to find your way to fight the pull in 2019. So, so practically, what does this look like? Finding a way to fight against this pull. Well, here's what it, it might look like for you. What if you invited someone new to your small group? I know many of you all are in small groups, and, and that's your community, and you love that. But what if you invited somebody new in? Or, or better yet, what if you invited someone who is hard to love in? Someone who has a little more needs 
than the rest of your group. Someone who might talk a little too much in your opinion and kind of sucks the air out of a conversation sometimes so that you could minister to the one. What if you as the, maybe the more mature Christian were able to fight this pull by inviting somebody into your community? That could be a way. Or, or, or what, if, what if you decided that in 2019 you were going to serve in student ministry? One cool thing about our student ministry here is we have lost students, middle schoolers and high schoolers, here every single week. And we're about to go to two services to accommodate the growth in our student ministry. And we need a lot more volunteers to pour into these kids. What if in 2019 you begin to serve in student ministry on a Wednesday night so that you could reach the lost? Or, or, or what if you made it your goal in 2019 that every month I'm going to attempt, I'm going to try to share my testimony about how who I was before Christ, what happened when I met Christ, and who I am now. What if, what if that was your goal, that every single month, I'm going to, you know, I've never shared my testimony before, but this year, 2019, I'm going to share one time a month. I hope you share a lot more than that. But what if that was your goal, to fight against this pool? Or, or, or what if you sacrificially gave to the vision offering? As Pastor Todd said this when we had 250 people giving to the vision offering. What if, what if you decided, I'm going to give over and above today towards the vision offering before the end of the year as a way to go after the one? Or, or, or what if you began parking a little bit further away? What if you, you know, as Pastor Trent said in our Multiply series, the number one thing keeping people out of heaven in our church is parking. What if you began to park in that lot and walk the trail in, even on rainy days, even on difficult days, or you begin to park in the grass to allow spaces for first-time guests who are coming to church on a Sunday morning? What if you begin to do that? See, it's little things that we can do to simply fight this pull and give in to the pull of the Father. So let's fight this pull in 2019. See, what if that was your goal? I love goals. I'm an Enneagram 3. Now, if you're, if you're familiar with that, that means I'm an achiever. I love achieving goals. But as much as that excites me, you know what excites heaven? Read verse 7. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over the one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So what excites heaven when the one comes home? So sure, you could go deeper this year. I really hope that you do. Sure, you could read your Bible this year. I hope that you do. Sure, you could lose weight and stop cussing. I hope that you do. But there will be more joy in heaven over the one person who repents than the 99 who need no repentance. More joy than the 99 knocking out all of their goals because the Father's heart is bent towards the one. So I want to challenge all of us to leave the 99 every time. Because if we give in to this gravitational pull, if we give in to that, we will miss out on what God has for us as a church. One time for my birthday, Leanna took me to Atlanta. And we, we had a weekend down there and, 
and uh, it was it was really fun. And so uh, she was like, "What do you want to do?" And I was like, "Well, let's go to main event. Let's do that tonight." And uh, and so this was before there was a main event in Knoxville, so it was like kind of like a novelty uh, thing. It was like, "Oh yeah, let's go to the main event." So so we're there at main event, and uh, Leanne and I are playing skee ball, which is on the first floor, and uh, and then we go up to the second floor floor to play Mario Kart because you know we're children, um, and uh, so. So we, we go upstairs to play Mario Kart, and we sit down at Mario Kart, and Leanna notices that her wallet and phone are gone. She left her purse downstairs. And so she goes and, and runs back downstairs to go see, and it's gone. So there's this man who has her stuff, and he's making a beeline for the door. And I'm sitting there playing Mario Kart, and I see it. And so... You know, I don't know if you know this about me. I'm a black belt. I've studied martial arts for, for over 20 years now. And, uh, and so I, I, I see that man, and I run after the man, and I see him, and I clothesline him and put him down. That didn't happen. In fact, I was playing Mario Kart without her, and Leanna sees him, runs after him, looks at him and you say, you give me back my things. He gives him back the phone, the wallet, and all the cash in his pockets. <laughs> then she goes and finds a cop. He is arrested and taken to jail that night. <laughs> I was playing Mario Kart and I won. <laughs> you see, if Leanna hadn't got out of her comfort zone, if she hadn't ran after the guy who had taken all of her things, she would have never got her phone back, she'd have never gotten the, her wallet back, and she'd have never gotten the extra cash so we could play more Mario Kart. <laughs> she would have missed out, wouldn't she? See, if we as a church, if we give into this gravitational pull and forsake going after what is not lost, to go after what is lost. We will miss out. And see, here's what will happen if we give into this gravitational pull. I'm going to give you four quick things. If we give into this gravitational pull right here, we will become hypocrites as a church. Here's what I mean. When you're going after the one, you're, not, you're focused on reaching people. You're focused on seeing the lost be found. You're, you're being like Jesus, going to seek and to save that which was lost because you're going after the one. But the longer you've been saved, the stronger the pull is. And we come back to the 99. And now, because we're focused on ourselves, we're focused on our own sinful desires, what we want, what we need, what we prefer, because we gave into this pool now, we're focused inwardly, and now we're falling back into the same sins that we've always fallen into. We fall back into our pride, our addiction, our selfishness. Because we gave into the pool. And then the world looks at us and they don't see people who represent the Father, they see people who represent the 99. See, this is what will happen if we give into the pool. And we can't give into the pool, church. So leave the 99. Every time. The second thing that will happen is if we give in, if we give in to this gravitational pull, we will be bored with Christianity. 
See, when you're going after the one, you're praying that God would save a lost family member. You're watching God do miracles because when you, when you ask, when you seek, when you knock, God answers in so many different ways. And you're not bored by Christianity because you're watching God do some amazing things. But the longer you've been saved, the stronger the pull is. And you come back to the 99. And now Christianity has been reduced down to coming and standing for 20 minutes as someone sings and listening to a lecture. It's not about being sent out. It's not about the world being reached. It just becomes boring. But we can't give in to this pool. So church, let's leave the 99 every time. The next thing that I think will happen is if we give in to the pool, if we give in to the gravitational pool, we will lose the next generation. We will. We'll lose the next generation because when you're, you're pumped about going after the one, you see the students at Maryville High School. You see the kids. And you see the issues that they face at such a young age, how the average age of uh, exposure to pornography is nine years old. And, and, and you see how there's so much addiction and depression and, and suicide and there, there's so many fatherless homes and you're going after them and you're ready to reach the next generation. But the longer you've been saved, the stronger the pull. We come back to the 99. And now we don't see the issues that the next generation faces. And, and we don't do anything about them because we're back at the 99 and we get bitter and we, we say things like this generation's just lost and, and they're never going to find their way back. And we get bitter and just say, man, we didn't have to struggle with that as kids. Why are they, why are they so addicted to their phones? Uh, and, and we get bitter with all the things that the next generation faces. And we watch another generation walk away from church and never come back. If we give in to the pool. But we can't give in to the pool. We have to align ourselves with the Father's heart. So leave the 99 every time, FC. And the final thing I would say is if we give in to the pool of the 99, we will forget why we started following Jesus in the first place. Because we're going after the one. We remember the amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. We remember how God in his kindness sought us out, gave us his love, died on the cross for us, and we're ready to show the one that same love. We don't want to punish them. We want to say, come on back home. But the longer we've been saved, the stronger the pull is. And we come back to the 99. And now... Christianity, Christianity is far more of a religion than a relationship. Because we gave in to the pool. And church, we can't give in to the pool. We must leave the 99. If we give in to the pool, the lost people in our city will suffer. Your lost family members will suffer. The preschooler in a broken home will suffer. The middle school girl being pressured by a guy will suffer. The drug-addicted dad will suffer. College students in Knoxville will suffer. The low-income families in Bearden will suffer. The whole world will suffer if Foothills Church gives in to that pool. So the question I want us to ask ourselves as we close is this. Is our heart aligned with the Father's? 
is your heart aligned with the Father's? In verse 5 of our text this morning, it reads, When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Why do you think he lays it on his shoulders? Why would he not just lead it back? I knew why as a kid. I'd heard many messages about this, that the reason that the shepherd, maybe you've heard this as well, but the reason that the shepherd would lay the sheep on his shoulders is because when he found it, he would break the sheep's legs. And the reason he would do that is because he wanted to the, the sheep to not be able to run away and to stay close to the shepherd so that he would learn that he needs to stay by the shepherd's side. And, and, and all in all, that breaking the sheep's legs would teach the sheep a lesson to never get lost again. So if the father is the shepherd and the one is the sheep, what does that mean? If we follow this interpretation then, we should forget about the one. We should punish the one. We should teach the one a lesson so that it will never run away and be lost again. Heard that my whole life. But I did some research. And that interpretation was actually popularized in 1979 and is biblically and historically a complete lie. Why would the shepherd hurt his sheep? Why would the shepherd punish his sheep? Why would he break the sheep that he loves? He's not mad at the sheep. He doesn't punish the sheep. He runs to the sheep. He picks up the sheep because the good shepherd doesn't break the sheep. The good shepherd was broken for the sheep. See, that's what the shepherd does. The good shepherd is the same shepherd who left the 99, put the lost sheep on his back, rescued the sheep from the muck and the mire, and then walked up the hill to Calvary and died for the sheep. John 10 11 says, I am, Jesus is the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. See, that is the Father's heart. That was his heart for you. That's his heart for every man, woman, college student, teenager, child in Maryville, bearded, and the rest of the world. So is your heart aligned with the Father's? Or have you given into the pool? Or let me rephrase that. Are you ready? to lay down your life for the sheep. He gave his life for you. He loved you before you ever knew him. He decided before you were ever born to lay down his life for you. So may we in 2019 be aligned with the Father's heart. Fight the pull. Would you pray with me? Father, I know that in a room like this, there may be people who have not yet encountered that love, your love. 
God, I pray that you would move them at the end of our time to go to our care and prayer room. God, I pray that you would speak directly to them so that they might make that decision to encounter your love and be changed by you forever. But Father, I also pray for those in the room who are giving in to the gravitational pull. Father, would you move us out of our comfort zones into the one, the one that you love, the one that you died for, so that we might be a church that is passionate about the one. Father, we love you so much. Thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus, the good shepherd for us. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing in response. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.